Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Calm me down. We're a, um, many times people, I think, think of church a little bit. They often say it's a safe place, and uh, let me just assure you, it's not. <laughs> Wouldn't we like to think, think so? The problem is the church is made up of people. People aren't safe. I mean, there's a few that are, but largely we're broken, and we're working through things. And the other thing that happens, especially on a Sunday morning, is that two kingdoms collide, darkness and light, and they don't get along that well. And it usually, if I can, if I can be this bold, um, um, they often collide in a very private place within you and I, within our thinking. So I want to address that this morning. I've entitled my message, uh, The Most Influential Person in Your Life. We have three very key values in Christian City Church. One is moving in the Holy Spirit presence of God, how valuable that is for us, because that's, we're only changed in that, in that environment and context. The other is authentic relationships, where we can try and keep it real, make it real, keep it real. And the other is empowering people, freedom. We have no interest in control. We have much interest in freedom and liberty. So I want to talk about the, the most influential person in your life. Pastor Stephen Britter at C3 Calgary North this morning ministering over there, so that's good. If you have a moment in between your private thoughts, pray for them. He would appreciate that. How many people enjoy honey? I mean the substance. (laughs) Um, Carolyn Leaf says whenever she goes to another country, the first thing she does is pick up some local honey because it balances the pH in your your digestive tract. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I was raised, we have, uh, of course, Nippon was the land of milk and honey, and so what we did is we had lots of honey, and on the farm we would often have uh, hives, and then we would get cases of honey, and uh, so that was our, I thought everybody got them, but apparently they don't. Here's what I found out this week about, about honey. One pound of honey requires 60,000 bees traveling 55,000 miles. Yeah, who counts? <laughs> that w- that's really my first question, is who counts? I have, I have, I take probiotics, a 50 billion uh, in a capsule, and my question is, there, that's, I'm, there's, got only, there's only 47 and a half. <laughs> they don't know. Um, so so 60,000 bees traveling 55,000 miles, visiting 2 million flowers to make one pound of honey. They store the nectar in their stomachs. They mix it with enzyme. They regurgitate it into another bee's mouth. You still like honey? <laughs> This part, it's partly digested and it's put into honeycomb where they fan it with their wings to eliminate the, the water and then they seal it with a secretion from their abdomen. And boom, liquid gold. You get honey. Um, when I hear people talk about not having the faith for this or do I, I wonder if we have the faith for healing and the faith for the future or whatever. I, I say this to them because if you've got faith for salvation, that's the biggest miracle that ever takes place in your life salvation. The process after that 
the, the, here's my point about the honey and the abdomen secretions and stuff. The process after that is for you and I to go through this metamorphosis of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that process is death by installments. It's learning to die to self and letting go of our opinions, our perspectives, and allowing Jesus to be Lord of our thoughts, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our actions. Salvation is, a, is, is, is one of the greatest miracles, and it happens in an instant, and it takes, it takes great faith. Because what happens is that some, some have thought that the big deal about salvation is forgiveness. That's not it. Salvation is a bit of, is, or forgiveness is a byproduct of salvation. Uh, God loves the whole world, forgave the whole world. There's only one type of people on the earth, forgiven people. Everyone's forgiven. But not everybody is living with the benefits of that forgiveness. Salvation is about becoming a new creature, a, a brand new creation. A brand new species, a new kind, and a new type. This, this is a miracle. And so if you have faith for salvation, you have faith for anything. So when we look at this today, we're looking at uh, Colossians chapter, the rest of chapter 1. And by the way, thank you for all of the comments from the previous talk on about the power of our words and the force of words. Thank you for that. Comments, or I mean... Uh, responses help me know what the next thing I sh or how I should keep going. I'm not spiritual enough to know what you specifically need. And so when you, when you respond, that really helps me a lot. Next month, I want to do a series on identity. And in November, I want to do a series on uh, angels that I'm studying about right now. And one of the things about the book of Colossians is that Paul was trying to correct. This is a church Paul never planted. Uh, he just heard of their faith. Um, he, he was trying to correct... Uh, some uh, teaching and thought processes that were, that were out of line with the gospel. One of them was the worship of angels. Now, the worship of angels is foolish, but to ignore angels is equally as foolish because there are such things, and each one of you, I believe, has been given an angel at birth. Each one of these kids have angels. And if you could see, you would see the angels. My wife has supersonic hearing. She says, that squeak's still in the front tire. I said, no, it's not there. I can't hear it. It's not there. She thinks I should get my ears checked. I think she's got supersonic hearing. Uh, there's things that we don't see, but they're nevertheless real. So he's trying to c correct some teaching, and one of them was about legalism and, and adding to your salvation, and the other was the worship of angels. And this is found in, chapter, uh, in the middle of chapter 3 where he makes, he makes uh, a note of that. Two of the most underappreciated and, and, and unbelieved scriptures in the Bible are these two, I think. Uh, one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the, now remain these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That, that is a profound, profound, mind-blowing, heart-expanding passage. The greatest is love. We spend time working on hope and working on faith, but we need to be spending our lives working on love which is the purpose of life. The second most unbelieved scripture, I think, is found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says that you are complete in Christ. Because for many of us, myself included, I often think, yeah, I'm complete in Christ, but I have to add something to that. This is exactly what he was trying to correct. 
if we're complete in Christ, that means that nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. We, are, we have all that we need in Christ. And our identity now comes from in Christ. Acts chapter 17 says that in him we live and move and have our being. So, so as we look at this passage, as we, we start to look at anyone, he said he's, he, or, uh, and the reason he wrote this is in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, don't let anybody condemn you on what you eat or drink. Has anybody ever been condemned on what you eat or drink? Don't let anybody. And, and, and nor on, you know, holy days or new moon ceremonies. I don't get bugged about new moon ceremonies hardly at all. Uh, these rules were only shadows of the real thing. Christ himself was the real thing. And he says, don't let anybody condemn you, insisting on, insisting on self-denial. There was, a, there was something happened as I was growing up where we, that, that it was okay to play ball, but it was not okay to bowl. I know. I, 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 I kind of saw through that, but I kind of didn't. It was okay to, it was okay to play. Both, they, they both had balls, but, but, but bowling was off limits if you were a believer. Imagine that. Don't let anybody condemn you on what you do with balls. Don't let anybody say you must worship angels, even though they've had visions and all the type. These people claim to be so humble, but their sinful minds have made them proud. They're not connected to Christ, who is the head, for we're joined together in his body by these strong sinews. And don't let anybody, don't let anybody, don't let anybody. He says, that, he says be careful. I, I think, it, let me paraphrase. He says, be very careful of who has a voice in your life, because they can lead to a certain belief system that could cause you to think that you're not complete in Christ. That's, a, that's, that's remarkable. So, so don't let anybody. Um, he knew that what gets into our belief system will lead to your behaviors. Your beliefs will either cause you to be healed or hindered. To be whole or to be unwhole. To be prosperous or improsperous. That's, that's probably not a word. Unprosperous is probably a better word. There... There is no, I love, I love the, the, in James where it says there's no shadow in him. He is all light. There's no shadow in Christ. No, and, and, and it's only light or dark. There's only two kingdoms. There's not the kingdom of gray. There's only two kingdoms. You're either in or you're out. It's black and white. This is why I believe that repentance has to be the lifestyle of a believer. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that right now, in, under the new covenant, no, we don't need to repent. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. To me, that's simply heresy. You have to have a daily life of repentance. A day, it's moment by moment. Why? Because my mind needs to be transformed. Repentance is thinking in a different way. We need new thoughts and we need new thinking. I'm going to tell you who the most influential person in your life is in a minute. Maybe you know. But your thoughts, here's what I do. Three things I do every morning. This is the first time my wife's heard this. Before I get out of bed, I try to do this. I try to think of a very positive thought of my wife. Why? Because I have to stay true to my covenant of marriage. I'm to be faithful. That's what I promised 36 years ago. Well, 35 and a few months. So I try to think of a very positive thought of my wife because I'm, I'm committed to my covenant of marriage. The next thing I, uh, that I do, I try to do this every day too, is exercise. Uh, my son-in-law just was competing at a body sculpting competition in Toronto, 
And he, I said, how long do you work out? He said, oh, about an hour and a half to two hours a day. I said, gosh, I should show you my regime. I do it for, it's under 10 minutes. And look. <laughs> he wasn't interested. <laughs> Proof is in the pudding. That's what I thought. Uh, the third thing that I do, and I try to do this before I get up. I don't exercise before I get up. But... Um, <laughs> In case you're wondering, third thing I do is this. I get a hold of my thoughts. I gather my thoughts. Because I know that every morning his mercy is new. Sometimes we confuse mercy with grace. Often we do. We often confuse hope with faith, too. But mercy is much different than grace. And I find people who live very carelessly and sloppily, they conf they're confusing grace with mercy. We're unconditionally loved. Um... I get a hold of my thoughts and I find out what's underneath those thoughts because my thoughts will direct my day. Your thoughts are prophets for your future. And if you don't get a hold of your thought life, you won't get a hold of your life. And to understand where those thoughts came from because your thoughts direct your emotions. Your emotions shouldn't direct your thoughts. You will, you'll begin to, I can change your emotions by changing your thoughts, you know that. So, so I try to gather my thoughts literally and bring them, command them to come under the authority of Christ. I want to think Christ's thoughts. Because by nature, I don't. I wonder. They, all, they, get, they go everywhere. So my thought life is critically important. Um, what, ha what was taking place here in, in, in Colossians was that they were focusing on externals. And in our life as followers of Christ, our focus needs to be on the internals, not the externals. Did you know that you can do things on the outside, but on the inside, you can be doing something completely different? That's, that's why when we have baby dedications, it's not so much what we do physically, it's what we do on the inside. And, and what can happen, what, the difference between worship and singing is the, is the position of your heart on the inside. I even think that many times as, as full gospel people, we pray as we pray and speak in tongues, that unless you're focusing your tongue on something, that it's just babble. But if you focus it and you add faith to it, because that's, why, that's how we have access to the heavenly realities. Everything is by grace through faith. Everything is provided for you is provided by grace. We activate it by faith. So that's who we are, that, and that's how we function. Um, so our life is directly proportional. The quality of your life is directly proportional to the quality of your decisions and your choices. We learn to make good choices by making bad choices. I think that's how it works. So to repeat, repeat a bad choice is a choice now that we make. Well, here's the issue is we don't see the world as it really is. We see it through our identities of who, how, the, how our, our experiences have shaped us and formed us. And we'll look at something and we'll go, oh, I know what's going on there. Yeah, you don't. So under, true humility, I think, is surrendering your perspective and your viewpoint to God's viewpoint. And we only get God's viewpoint by studying and staying in his word. And the problem, I think, sometimes is us leaning on the word is we forget to lean on the author of the word. And we fall in love with the word and we don't fall in love with the author. Um, so, so we need to drill down into what causes the problems. I don't think desires are the problem in our life. It's how we respond to the desires in our life. God gives us the desires of our hearts. It's how do we respond to those desires. And so... So I personally don't think, like, like we, we often, I think, give our enemy too much power. You know, the devil cannot kill you. He can't. Otherwise, trust me, you'd all be dead. But he can't. 
he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have power and authority, but he knows how to work power and authority. So now we're coming into a clash with your thinking and mine. So, so that, that truth then that can challenge us can also cause us to be offended. And we're limited then by our ability to think beyond our current situation. And this is what Paul was getting at. Most decisions are not based on truth. They're based on our perceptions of truth. So in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, where he says, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. I just love this, for he is first in everything. Oh, man. He is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And by him, God reconciled everything. I love that. Not, not everyone, everything. Everything in heaven and on earth by means of the blood on the cross. He reconciled things not by his resurrection, but by his death on the cross. This is, this is a massive thought for me. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. And this includes you and me, who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, past tense, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. I was separated by him by my, by my thoughts and my actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friend. Bah! Someone should write a song about that. I'm a friend of God. He, he, and now he has brought you back as his friends. And he has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. Anybody who denies that Christ wasn't human, he says, is an, is an anti-Christ spirit. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. These are, these are thoughts that we have to repeat until they become real for us. Our consciences sometimes are too sharp, and they condemn us. But before Christ, we are no longer condemned. We are without fault, and we are blameless in his sight. How does he look at you today? Blameless, faultless. Yeah, yeah, I look at myself different, and you look at yourself different, and your neighbor looks at you different, and what's important is that how Christ looks at us. He looks at you without fault, blameless. Yeah, but what about, yeah, yeah, forget about that. He looks at you today, blameless and without fault. That's just a, that, that, will, that will heal most of our crazy thinking. We all have crazy thinking. As a result, he's without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly on it. It's not enough that it's so. You have to believe it and stand on it. This is our action. Why? And it says, don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed to claim it, to proclaim it. And I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm completing what remains of Christ's suffering in his body, for his body, the church. Probably a picture of intercession. God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his message in all of its fullness to the Gentiles. This message has been kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to us, his own holy people. And, he, and for it's pleased God to tell his people that the riches and the glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. That's us. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is our assurance that we'll share in his glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everybody about Christ. And we warn them, and we teach them with all wisdom 
that God has given us, for we want to present them to God perfect or complete or full, fully mature in their relationship with Christ. I work very hard, hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works in me. <laughs> I, I work hard to let his power work through me. It sounds like, well, are you working or are you resting in that? And the answer is yes. He works hard to let this grace be empowered in his life. I want you to know how much I agonize for you in the church at Laodicea for many of my other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, and I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right. Okay. How, how, how fast can I preach? Very fast. Very, very fast. Um... um let me just uh, talk very quickly about the um, about the about peace and how that first of all first of how uh, and, and this I think is one of the watersheds in our faith and I'll talk about it more maybe in the future but the fact is that 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 you know when Christ came the angel said peace on earth is there peace on earth yet yeah, no but there's peace between God and man now now. So, some of us have p images and pictures that God is angry and mad and he's a bit upset and he's a bit moody and we're, you know, kind of, we're, he's a little bit capricious. We're not quite sure how he's going to act. And I think that we've misunderstood the whole idea of the fear of God. You, you know you can't trust somebody that you're afraid of, right? Think about it. You can't. Why, so the fear of God, I think we've got that little mixed up in our Victorian thinking uh, because we're also told to fear not 365 times. We're not, the, the, the deal about, the, the, the thing, I, I personally think about the, the fear of God is that I don't want to upset somebody I love. I don't want, I don't, I'm afraid of upsetting, of hurting somebody I love, like my wife. I'm, I'm afraid of doing that. But, but here's what I know about God is that he's trustworthy. You think of somebody who has hurt you, you can't trust them. You won't trust them. You're not sure how they're going to act. Fear, the fear, he, he, here's the point, is that God is no longer angry. His anger is all poured out, and his wrath is all satisfied in Christ. And as you and I are in Christ now, we are like, we are like a son and a daughter. And it's beautiful, and he's reconciled us. That's beautiful. Peace, peace on earth. All right. Um, let, me, let me just talk about the, uh, maybe just a bit more about for verse 23, and how it says that, but now, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly, that how we're blameless and holy without fault before him. You must continue to believe this truth and stand on it firmly. Let me tell you who the most influential person in your life is. It's you. Nobody else has any more influence in your life than you do. The way that you talk to yourself and about yourself, I'm surprised at how loud my self-talk actually is. I'm surprised, and here's why we trust our, our, our self-talk, because it sounds like us. I find that my self-talk is actually getting louder and more repetitive, and so I want to direct the way that I talk to myself because I'm the most influential person in my life. You are the most influential person in your life. This is, a, this is an important thing. I honestly think so. Um, I, I tend to remind myself of my failures. That's what my, in my thinking. Rather than how I'm faultless. So, uh, does anybody else do that? You think of all those things in your past. Well, here's, here's the difference between hope and faith. 
Hope is always a precursor to faith. Hope is always future-oriented. Faith is always present. Faith can't function without hope. So, so what happens for you and I, I think what happens to me too, am I really without fault? If, I, if I'm not careful, what I do is I'll remind myself of that past failure and that's going to affect my behavior as I move forward because I'll lack confidence thinking, oh gosh, I did that before, I'm probably going to do it again. So what do I need? I need my mind renewed in line with the word of God. The promises of God come wrapped in thanksgiving. It's our, entr our, our, our entrance pass to the presence of God. It's thanksgiving and gratitude. I think it's very powerful. So my ability to be able to remember, all I want to re remember is how faithful God has been and how I can trust him. And how he's been consistent in the past, that means he's going to be consistent in the future for me. So it's really important that I don't, here's what happens when you recall your past, you actually bring new dimensions into your current, your present reality. Because you don't remember it the way it was, you remember it connected to a certain emotion. I know this. And then you connect an emotion to that memory. But here's what happens is that memory and that emotion actually hurt a different way the next time. And it gets deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger until somehow somebody in the name of Jesus breaks that word curse over your life. And the way we do that is by getting the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God. We all meditate already. Meditation is just the repeating and the emotion that's connected with that information. And so what we do, I know what happens. I got a nasty uh, uh, um, text last week after I was talking about the power of words. And I couldn't believe how much influence that had. And I kept going back. I mean, I can't believe that person would say that about me. I'm such a nice guy. How could they say those things? Well, Jesus thinks I'm a nice guy. My wife thinks I'm a nice guy. I must be a nice guy. I can't believe they said it. So here's what I had to do. I had to erase it. I had to delete it. But, you know, even when I deleted it, I remembered the words. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, know, we now no longer need to be present to be offended. We can actually offend from afar. That's a message. <laughs> Offense from afar. Uh, so what happens is that the word then, it comes back. And then what happens is that, oh, man, it stung again. Stung again. Stung again. And every time it comes back, it comes with another sting. So what do we have to do? We have to get a hold of the truth and we have to repeat that. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And then we have to allow an emotion to connect with that phrase. Here's what happens when you realize that you are blameless and without fault before God. You start to fall in love with him. And you know what happens then? He, it casts out and eliminates all fear. This is such a powerful thing. Fear is a liar. And it'll keep you from anything positive and good and godly. Okay, our self-talk creates inner vows that need real repentance to break that power. We, we believe the story. We believe our stories even if they're not true. Because there are stories. So we need new stories. Okay. Our inner voice. It's powerful. Be careful not to just trust the word, but trust the living God. Faith, unwavering, un unwavering and unmovable trust in God. All right, so faith, faith is we know it's the substance of things hoped for. Let me just, let me just talk about substance for a nanosecond. The word substance means a, a title deed. It means, a, it means a substructure of something that's being built. I watched Ralph and the Hollander boys building a foundation as I drove past. I love watching people work. It's just, it was such a, 
Well, they were talking a lot too, I found, <laughs> discussing the project. Faith, faith is, the, is the substructure of a building. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because God's trying to build your life, and he's trying to build my life. And he needs a substance to build it on. Faith is that substance. And, and faith, true biblical faith, is unshakable, unwavering trust in who God really is. So that's what faith is, and that's what it's, what it's built upon. My last point, and, um, and here's something that we all know. Whatever we plant grows. We all know that. And whatever we cultivate produces fruit. We all know that. Just look around. If you don't know that, look around. This is how it works. Whatever you plant grows. Well, here's the issue. It's because everything now, this is a universal law. Everything now, it reproduces after its own kind. So your life is a result of what you've planted and cultivated. So everything produces after its own kind. So any thought, action, or attitude that is sown in fear, do you know what it creates? More fear. It has to. It produces after its own kind. So this is why you've got to be careful how you talk about people driving on the highway. It doesn't affect them. It affects you. So what's sown, what's sown produces. So here's what we need to be aware of is that I'm in control of my life. And when I sow kindness towards someone, you want to know what happens. Eventually, it's, a, it's, it's given, it shall be given. Press down, shaken together, while shall men pour back into your bosom. God's, God's kind of, here's how he's involved. He put it in place. Now it's up to us to work the system. So now whatever, how, whatever we sow, it re reproduces after its own kind. So have a look at your life. So here's what Paul was trying to correct. He's trying to prepare, pre correct a performance orientation. They thought, well, we, I, here, I know that we're complete in Christ, but we actually have to add a little bit to it. We're complete in Christ, but we actually should have church attendance, tithing, mission trips, Mana, 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 mana. I gotta add something to it. You don't have to add anything to it. Or what we add to this is we believe in what Christ has done for us. And we add, we add our faith. If anything, all we do is we add our faith and we believe into what he's already done and accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection for you and I. And now whatever we do, we get to do out of a grace and out of a love, not out of obligation, but out of pure, raw joy. So, I want you to think about how, how what, we, what you've been harvesting in your life. And if there's, a whole bunch of, if there's a whole bunch of darkness flowing into your life, just consider what have you been sowing. Because whatsoever you sow, that shall you reap. Whatsoever. And it's not about God doing it. It's about God put the law in place. I've, I've found this absolutely amazing because generosity is, should be such a natural thing for us. But it's actually not. It actually takes a little bit of work. Those of you who are looking for friends, here's a clue. Be a friend. It's, that, it's kind of like that. But you know what happens when we're not willing to express something? We're also not able to experience something. So if you, you want friends, all you'll do is you'll look around, be grumpy that you don't have any friends, but you won't concentrate on what you can do to be a friend. It, the, same happens in, the same thing happens in marriage. The same thing happens in life. 
The person who is wanting somebody to be generous is not willing to be generous themselves. If you, but here's what will happen. You'll find that the generous soul actually not only refreshes himself, but refreshes others. And, and you will find that as I'm generous and you're, you become more open-hearted and you give your other, the, the, the person the bigger piece of pie, I know it's a little thing. It's a condition of the heart. I practice this all the time with my wife. The kids are gone now. Just with my wife. That's it. Oh, sometimes with a few other people. But you be generous. And watch, you watch what happens. Don't worry about, don't start looking for people to be generous. Look for yourself and empower it. What you can't express, you won't be able to experience. So this is our, our part. And my last point, as the, as the team comes. Um, in chapter 20, in 1, verse 27, in the Passion Translation, it says this. Living within you is Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. Uh, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the ability to access our inner world. I think, that, I think this is the exercise for every, every believer to learn to master. I was reading about brainwaves this week. There's five different types. Typically, there's the gamma, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Fast brain activity actions, you, you function most, most of us function we're, uh, on, in the beta level. Most of us, that's between 12 and 40 hertz. And above 40, this is, most, this is where the, our left brain is most functioning. This is where logical thinking takes place, as well as stress and tense feelings. It takes place in our left brain, somewhere between 12 and 40 hertz is how our, our our brain functions. They're dominant in us when we're awake or when we're anxious. But when we're functioning, when our brain functions, these neural uh, pathways in our brains, when they're functioning in, in that state, they're functioning, you're functioning out of intellect. And you may know that you're faultless and without blame, and you may know that you're complete in Christ, but the experience requires you to be able to feel that. Maybe you know the love of the Father, but you haven't experienced that yet. And so part of my walk with the Lord is, is imagining that Christ is in me. You know when I went through that breathing, couldn't breathe. I spent hours of seeing the presence of God filling my lungs. And then we'd sing that song and you guys would just sing it. I would weep because it's your breath in our lungs. The breath of life. He can still touch any organ in your body. And it's not enough for you just to know that he heals. You can experience his healing. You know that, we're in, that by his stripes you were healed. He's not, it's not a new healing. It's actually accessing what he's already done for you and experiencing that now. My hunch is there's people in this room who know that they're complete in Christ, but they still have this twinge, I need to do something a little bit more for him to really love me and really accept me. My hunch is that you may have heard that you're complete in Christ and you're without fault, but you think, I wonder what I need to do to get him to really be happy and okay with me. I think there's something more I have to do. And your life becomes plagued with obligation and guilt and shame and remorse and say, I'll never add up, I'll never add up, I'll never add up. And I'm here today to tell you that you're all, you've already, our wealth in the Father's eyes, in the Father's eyes as he sees you, there's nothing more that you can do 
to merit his love for you. Once we get this revelation and experience that, then we can begin to function without, without thinking we have to measure up and add up and all that. So I want to pray this morning for people who are functioning under a faulty paradigm of thinking they have to do something more for their salvation or something more to get the Father to love them. And, um, and the other thing um, is for those who, who don't have an assurance in Christ. So what happens for you and I is we need to, when the Bible talks about being still, it means stopping all the clamor and all the chaos. And this happens in quiet times and quiet places for us. I sometimes do it through breathing in the morning, take big, big, big deep breaths, breathe in the presence and the life of Christ. Sometimes do it in worship because worship actually is one of the only things that'll pull you out of the beta phase and into alpha where you can begin to now shut down a little bit of uh, how does this work, how does this work and move into your right brain. Worship does that. This morning, if you were truly worshiping, you would, have, it would have been a transcendent experience almost where you're pulled right out of today because spirit functions in the eternal. It's without time. It has space but no time. Your spirit and the spirits of these little babies we prayed for is, is eternal. But they take up space. God functions in the eternal. And when we step into these other dimensions, it's part we experience the multidimensionality of God. And that's a powerful thing. I want you all to stand with me as we wrap up this morning. I have found that the changing behaviors is actually not that hard. But changing my motivations and my motives and my attitudes, that's a lot of work. This, this requires a real work of what the Bible calls the circumcision of the heart. So as we're wrapping up today, I want to pray for people who feel caught in a cycle of performance. And, um, and I, you know, I get this other feeling that there's a little bit of regret or remorse in some things that have happened in people's past. And they just keep coming into their current and they can't seem to break it. This morning I want to break those cycles and patterns uh, over your life in the name of Jesus. So let's just take a moment and if, when we close our eyes that often helps us to slow down and relax. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence this morning and your word that liberates and frees us. It also does this work of correcting and directing us. Lord, I love how you're so gentle and you're bringing direction to my life, Lord. You'll just, you'll show me a better option that I can replace my current reality with. Father, I'm praying today for liberty and freedom that you came not just to liberate prisoners, Lord, but to heal those that were bruised. Father, I thank you today for reconciling heaven and earth in Christ and today in Christ we can find brand new life brand new hope and brand new healing Lord today I know that you want to liberate people from performance and all that work that they think one more I need to do one more another thing another thing another thing and that that trying to somehow just the, the work is just playing them out so Lord you said that we could, all those who were weary could come to you. So, Father, we're coming to you somewhat weary from all of the work and activities, thinking we need to work for our salvation rather than believe for our salvation. 
I'm praying for those that are weary this morning, Lord, that you take that yoke of, of, of performance off of their shoulders in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, and that we could take your yoke upon us, Lord, and that you would do the big pulling for us. God, we break cycles of thought and words that we've repeated over and over that remind us of past failures and faults. And today, Lord, we catch a vision from heaven that shows us that we are blameless and without fault before you today. God, let us see through your eyes how you see us and how you see others. Father, today I bless these people, Lord, with a brand new revelation of the complete work of Christ. And Lord, out of that revelation, Lord, would come true sons and daughters in the name of Jesus.